You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Galatians 5, 23, Paul gives a list of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Therefore, I can't agree with their explanation of being not able to control the Spirit. It's self-contradicting. One cannot say that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They lose control because self-control is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul told us that the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets in 1 Corinthians 14, 32. Do you struggle with self-control and finding yourself giving into temptation time and time again? In today's message, Pastor Dave talks about how the Holy Spirit provides self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Does that mean we won't ever fall into temptation? No, but the Holy Spirit will guide us through self-control. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Ascension of Jesus Christ. God no longer requires a burnt offering. He no longer requires sacrifice. But what does he require? Glad you asked. The psalmist David in Psalm 51, in verses 15 through 17, tells us this. He says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. We don't have to come to the Lord with the blood of a dead animal. We don't have to put that animal on the barbecue and send up the smoke for God. We don't have to follow the Mosaic law when it talks about how to kill this for this sin and how to do that for that sin. No, there's been one sacrifice, one sacrifice only. That sacrifice took place 50 days before the falling of the Holy Spirit. That sacrifice was the pure spot, blemish lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, that sacrifice was finished once and for all. No more other sacrifices will take place. You can sacrifice all you want. You can sacrifice all the animals you want. You will never get any closer to God than you are now. But with Jesus Christ, with the pure sacrifice, the only sacrifice, the finished sacrifice. Remember, he said, it is finished. It's done. It's completed. God's done with this. No more sacrifice. But a broken and contrite heart. What does that mean? That means you feel something in here and you want to get back to God. You start seeking God again. There's something wrong in my life, Lord. I don't know what it is. I need you. When you open up like that to God, God recognizes that. And he fills you with that Holy Spirit. He fills you with the Holy Spirit, which is who? It's him. He's filling you with himself. So you will never, ever be alone. You will never, ever be away from the presence of God because God has said, I know how goofy you are, David. I know how goofy you are. If I gave you me, you'd misplace me. So I'm going to make it even so easy that you can't mess it up. I'm going to put myself inside you. Thanks, Lord, because you know me real well, don't you? 
Because I would. I'd misplace it. I'd put it someplace where it's not supposed to be. I'd probably put it in my room where I keep everything else. You don't want to go there. The Lord wants to commune now on a personal level. He wants to commune with a personal level relationship with each person. Everyone in this room, he wants to have a personal relationship with you. Why do you think the Jews called him Jehovah? I am the becoming one. Because everyone in this room right now needs something from God. And every one of us might need something different. We all need the same thing, salvation. He says, I am salvation. What do you need? I need healing. I am healing. I need joy. I am joy. I need peace. I am peace. He is what we need today for um. He wants to get individual with you. He wants to get personal with you. And he wants to give you those things. Guess what? If you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, he's already given those things to you. I've been given everything for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. I have it in me. It's in me. And I have it. You know, this is so much like our God, setting things up in our lives so that we would have a chance to hear the gospel message, preparing us in advance to hear his word, preparing us that we have hearts to receive his word, and that's what he does. He prepares you in advance. He's so longing to have a relationship with us. He's so longing to have a relationship with you, with me, with the whole world. All these men were from every nation. They were amazed and they were marveled by what was happening in front of them. They must be asking, saying, what does this mean? What are these guys saying? In verse 11b, it says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Notice that when they said, understood the languages, these people were not preaching sermons in these languages nor were the words addressed to men. These words were addressed to God. They were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Somewhere along the line, the churches have made a mistake in the notion that God often speaks to the church through tongues and interpretation of tongues. This is not scriptural. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul clearly says, if a man speaks in an unknown tongue, he is not speaking to man. Howbeit, in the spirit, he is speaking to God divine mysteries, or secrets. This tells us that in a, in a church, if a person speaks in an unknown turn, tongue, that we should pray that there's an interpretation. And if there's no interpretation, he shouldn't speak. That's what the Scripture tells us. And I said last week, we want to take the Scripture and we want to use the gifts in the confines of the Scripture. When the Scripture says it, we obey it. We have them in the confines. There are specific rules and regulations in the confines of the Scripture. We give thanks. This is a giving of thanks. This is praising God. They heard them praising God. They heard them telling about the wonderful works of the Lord, what the Lord had done in their life. They heard this in their own, own tongue. They heard men giving thanks. Each man present heard his own language. Praises to God for his wonderful works. I was reading in the commentaries as I was studying for this, and I use, sometimes I use John Corson's uh, commentary for the New Testament. John Corson is a Calvary Chapel pastor. Um, he tells a really interesting story about this verse and about this very thing. He says that he was at a meeting in California, and there were about 100 other believers. And they gathered together. They were waiting upon the Lord, and they were just sitting there waiting upon the Lord, and it went into the late hours. Now, the rule of the hotel stated that the bar had to be open whenever the conference room was being used. So the bartender stood in the back, listening to all this, and he was polishing glasses. Near the end of the time, this gentleman stands up in the middle of everything, 
and according to John Corson, gives this beautiful utterance in tongues in front of everybody. The person who was leading the session very wisely said, is there interpretation? When there wasn't any interpretation, he said, since there is no interpretation, that'll be all of the tongues we have today because it's not scriptural unless we get interpretation. When the meeting was over, the bartender comes running out of the bar, crying like a baby. And he said, I need to talk to the man who stood up and spoke. Well, why? He said, I'm Iranian. The man spoke of the true and living God and worship in perfect Farsi, his own language. And he heard it. Needless to say, this Muslim was saved later on that night. Can we limit what God wants to do? I don't know. These devout men heard the wonders of God in their own languages. Some have asked, why did God do this? Why did God introduce the Holy Spirit in this fashion? Where are those that believe that Pentecost was actually the reversal of judgment for the Tower of Babel? Remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, in verse 9, 1 through 9, when judge judgment, judgment at Babel scattered the people, changing all their languages? Because everybody used to speak the same language. And they were building this big tower to praise men and get close to God. And God changed all their languages. And they basically got scattered because they weren't following what God had done. He told them to go forth and multiply. They were all staying around. Remember when we studied that? At Babel, the people were able to understand each other. But when God changed their tongues, they were unable to understand each other. When Pentecost comes, men heard God's praises. And they understood what each other was saying. The Tower of Babel was a scheme designed to praise men and to make name for man. But Pentecost brought praise to God. The building of Babel was an act of rebellion. But Pentecost was a mystery, a ministry to humble submission to God. Pretty cool contrast when you look at it. I don't know. You can do some studying on yourself. There's a lot of people that believe that to be true. Verse 12, it says, And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Ever could this mean? I would imagine their minds are boggled now because not only are they hearing these different languages, but they're hearing somebody making praises to God in their very own language that they were born with, the one that they knew about. These results of this supernatural phenomenon was the devout Jews were now amazed and they were perplexed when they saw and they heard these country bumpkins standing up there and preaching God's word, actually giving glory to God. They weren't preaching God's word. And the scripture that comes to mind immediately is 1 Corinthians 1.27. When it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Can we limit God? These men were asking each other, what does this mean? These devout, honest men were seeking answers. And they would receive their answer as the chapter continues. 3,000 of them are going to be saved. They're going to come to repentance. They're going to come to life in Jesus Christ. God does reward those that seek him. God does give grace to those that are humble, that those are in submission to him. So they ask, what does this mean? In his book, A Church of Fire, R. Kent Hughes says this. It means that the Holy Spirit brings new life to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And that with that life comes a continuing power to those who are continually filled. It means fire in our lives, individually burning away the chaff and flaming out of all who are around us. It means the truth of God going forth from us in a way that we could never dream of, the divine utterance of God through us. It means communication. It means joy. It means thanksgiving. And it means submission. God was doing something in a different way. 
But there were others in the temple who made fun of what was going on. There was others in the temple who were skeptic. In verse 13 it says, others mocking said, they're full of new wine. We're going to see when Peter stands up, he tells them, how can they be full of new wine? It's only the third hour. It's interesting to me that when God was working and when the teaching's going on of God of Word, three things happen. There are three things that usually happen. The first thing is we receive it as it really is, the Word of God. We receive it as the Word of God. Our faith is strengthened and our lives are changed and we believe. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happened is that we request more information. You know, I'll hear more about that. I want to know more about that subject. Third thing that happens is we reject it. I don't want any of that. And we mock. When Paul was speaking to the crowd in Athens, in Acts 17, verses 32 to 34, Luke records this. He says, And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. They rejected. Some mocked. Another said, We'll hear you again on this matter. Some wanted more information. Some needed more things to be told to them. And in verse 34 it says, However, some men joined him and believed. They received the word of God and they believed. They had the regenerative heart that God had given them. This is what's happening in verse 13. Some mockingly said that they were filled with new wine. This is a fatal error made by some even today. They attribute supernatural causes to a natural thing. Oh, it's not. It's this. You know, these modern people, these are the ones who are spiritually indifferent and they flippantly mock the Spirit in the ways other worship in the Spirit. You know, they scoff when somebody raises their hand during worship. That can't be true. That shouldn't happen. Which, by the way, is very biblically based. That can't happen. They scoff. There's a great story in 1 Samuel about David and his first wife, Michael. And what happened to her when she scoffed at the way David worshipped the Lord in front of the Ark of the Covenant. I want to read that. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting story. So of those asking, what does this mean? Some will go on and request more information. And when they receive this information from Peter, they will be born again. And they will be saved. And it's interesting to me that the mockers said that the new believers were filled with new wine because wine is associated with the Holy Spirit, especially when the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus and he relates the two in contrast. There's a contrast here. In Ephesians 5, verse 18, this is what it says. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord, giving thanks always for the things of God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another in the fear of God. This is what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When man is filled with strong drink, he loses control of himself and he ends up ashamed. But the person filled with the Holy Spirit has self-control and glorifies God. Strong drink is temporary and there's an exhilaration, but the Spirit gives a deep satisfaction and a much lasting joy. Being filled with the Spirit means we are continually being filled with that lasting joy. A continuing filling of the Holy Spirit means. This is what Hughes was speaking about. There's communication. There's joy, thanksgiving, submission. Notice that I said that when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, they have self-control. They have self-control. There are those today that are engaging some pretty bizarre activities in the name of the Holy Spirit. These activities are really bizarre. 
And they insist that the Spirit of God is leading them into these practices. They insist that they're not able to control it because they're being led by the Holy Spirit. I don't only have a personal problem with that, but I have a biblical problem with that because it's not biblical. Remember, that's why we talked about being biblically based before we got here. In Galatians 5, 23, Paul gives a list of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Therefore, I can't agree with their explanation of being not able to control the Spirit. It's self-contradicting. One cannot say that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They lose control because self-control is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul told us that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets in 1 Corinthians 14.32. This tells me that I am able to control and should be continually controlling what is going on in me and through me. The spirit is a perfect gentleman and will never force me into a strange, weird, or abnormal activity. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. I do believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do something incredible and wonderful in this generation. I don't think we should ever quench the work of the Holy Spirit by ignoring the necessary tools and the gifts that are given to us and to build the church of Jesus Christ. Nor should we grieve the Holy Spirit by engaging in unbiblical activities that He is not involved in. We must be open to any in gifts that then their uses as described in Scripture. As described in Scripture. So I guess the next logical question for us is how do we do this? What is required from us? What is required that we might do? Remember last week when we discussed how these men and women in that upper room, those 120s, realized how empty they were? Realized just how empty they were without Jesus? I mean, they'd only been away from him for 10 10 days, but their hearts were so empty. They were so lonely. They know they needed to be filled with the love of Jesus Christ. Imagine experiencing Jesus Christ for over three years every single day, listening to him hearing him, having dinner with him, supping with him, having being taught by him. Every day you're there, and then all of a sudden he's gone. And you know he's not coming back, at least not right now. You expect them. They were lonely. They know they needed to be filled. They know they needed the presence of Jesus Christ. We are no different. We're no different ourselves. We need to acknowledge that we are empty and that the fact that we need Jesus Christ God helps us to have faith and helps us to receive the gospel message. That's how we became a Christian. If you haven't made that step, that's the first place to start. Believe in the relationship with Jesus Christ, accepting his sacrifice on the cross for your sin. Repent, which simply means turn away from it and walk the other way and follow him. All this we do by faith. Then once we are Christians, God's persistent work in our lives liberates us from the idea that we can do it by ourselves. We can't do it without his help. Each time we acknowledge that we can't do it and we ask, he fills us afresh with his Holy Spirit. Then we have the power to do what God himself has asked us to do. God has asked every one of us in here to do something for him. On an individual basis, you might not even have discovered it yet, but you need the Holy Spirit to guide you and to lead you into what God has planned for you, what God has planned for your life. Seek him while he can be found. Look to him while he's still there and speaking to the church mightily by the same Holy Spirit. Acknowledge your inadequacy and acknowledge his sufficiency. That's where it is. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. 
but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at the difference. Look at the difference in someone's life. But I have to realize that I'm empty. I have to realize that I need to be filled. I have to realize that I am absolutely nothing. Without Jesus Christ, I'm but pond scum, floating on the top of the pond. I'm nothing. Because of my flesh dwells no good thing. It's a yuck factor. Hughes finishes out this with a really neat statement. He says, the key to a spirit-filled Christian life is found in a paradox. We cultivate an attitude of emptiness which brings with it a perpetual fullness. If you have an attitude of emptiness today, ask, and God will fill you with his Holy Spirit today, and you will be filled. No one says it as good as our Lord can say it. You can read all the commentaries you want to read, but I've told you before, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, and he's looking out over the crowd as they gathered. And he begins his Sermon on the Mount with a list of things that are called the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And when he gets to verse 6, he says these words. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness this morning? Is there an emptiness within you that you can't seem to fill? You've tried all the holiday cheer you possibly can. You've watched Charlie Brown's Christmas 85 times. You've gone Christmas shopping. You've done everything you can, but yet there's an emptiness within you that just doesn't seem to make sense. You've had the entire family over, and you're all having a great time at this wonderful, wonderful feast of Thanksgiving, and you're sitting there, and you feel lonely because there's something missing in your life. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We need the power of God in our lives to live the Christian life as God has ordained us to live. That power is the Holy Spirit. That power comes from the Holy Spirit. It's where we get our fuel. Holy Spirit's not going to ask you to do crazy things. He's not going to ask you to do cartwheels down the aisles of church. He's not going to ask you to howl and bark at the moon. He's not going to ask you to do all kinds of wild things. He's not going to do that. But he is going to get you to glorify God. He is going to get you to open up your heart to a God who loves you, to a God who gave himself for you and wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. How much more you being evil give good things to your son. The Father gives the Holy Spirit to those he loves. It's scriptural. It's biblical based. You are You've been listening to a Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on praise. Sure.